Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! Fiddle me this. <laughs> what Jew is on a roof and plays an instrument? Oh, dear. Fiddle-dee-dee. <laughs> Fiddle-dee-bubba-rum-pum-pum-pum. Wish I was a rich man. Bubba-dubba-dubba-dubba-dum. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. I am Richard Nicholas. Uh... With me today is Abigail. Hello. And Anthony. How's it going? It's going fine. So far, so far, so good. <clears throat> Obviously rhetorical, right? Shut up. Right. But this week we are dealing with a fairly well-known story, I'd say. Although it wasn't that well-known to me. But Anthony, <clears throat> you picked this film, so I guess you should uh, explain it and who made it and stuff. Uh, okay. So yes, this week we are watching Fiddler on the Roof, uh, which was released in 1971. And uh, it's a, a musical comedy drama uh, set in the early 1900s Russian-ruled Ukraine. It follows the life of a poor Jewish milkman named Tevye and deals with his struggles with maintaining his religious and cultural traditions whilst... Um, <laughs> Outside influences and changing times encroach upon his family's lives, especially that of his daughters. Uh, it was uh, produced and directed by Norman Jewison, written for the screen by Joseph Stein, uh, uh, which it was based on the Broadway musical of the same name um, by Stein, Jerry Brock and Sheldon Harnick, which itself was based on the stories of Tevye the Milkman by Sholem Alechem. I hope I've done that justice. Um, the film stars uh, Chaim Topol, uh, Norma Crane, Rosalind Harris, Michelle Marsh, Neva Small, Molly Picton, Paul Mann, Leonard Frey and Paul Michael Glazier. And it also has um, a few small cameos by British um, sitcom greats Ruth Maddock and Roger Lloyd Pack. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, me and Abby were discussing... Uh what roles those people had. Obviously, one, we were like, oh, the um, guy who was in the... I don't know if he was a priest. I think he was the reverend's helper or pastor or something. Yeah. Lay person. I don't know. Uh, but that that was one of them. And the woman from Heidi High, she was in the zombie dream sequence, was she? Or Yeah, I think she was the, the flying zombie. The uh, ghost bride. The zombie ghost bride zombie thing. thing. Mm-hmm. So that's fucked up. That's one thing I didn't expect <laughs> in this film, was a, a uh, zombie dream sequence. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll come We'll come back to that, because it's sort of a weird, almost superfluous scene. <laughs> but it's kind of like, wow, you got this in this film? Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a long way to go for I need an excuse to give to my wife. But, um, yeah, anyway. Uh, so, Anthony... This film, it's a big, fat Jewish musical, and uh, what was your interest in it? Um, one word to Paul. I knew nothing about the musical at all. Um, I, I didn't. I, I knew a few of the songs from like just general culture, like um, if I were a rich man and matchmaker. Uh, that's really about it. I didn't know the story of it. I didn't know the music. Um, but 
tangentially, I watched uh, the James Bond film um, For Your Eyes Only, mm. and T'Pol was in it, and he was incredible. And then I realised all the things I've ever seen T'Pol in, he's always incredible. And that's only, like, about three things. I think, um, like, he's in Flash Gordon... And I think we watched, like, um, a film in university about Galileo, and he was in that. Um, so I just wanted, I just wanted me some Topol. Topol. I looked... Topol, sorry. It's fine now. I like <laughs> how you say it. I, I think, what, what, what is, his, is his name Topol? I don't know. <laughs> like, what, how does you he... Said, you said it a bit like Star Trek Topol. I would say, was... like, he was a Vulcan or something. Yeah. Why does why does he? I mean, you did say his first name, but he gets known Time. as yeah. So, but he's known as Topol, just mm. like Madonna or or something like like someone with a one name like Bono. Like he's just Topol. I don't know. Yeah, that's a weird. I'm guessing one. he's probably both sick of people calling him Chame. All right, <laughs> people, loads loads of people have odd names. People get used to saying them. Mm. But yeah, I, I, so I was looking for a um, a top all film, and he's surprisingly made not that much. Like he's done a lot of theatre work, and he's done like a lot of um, smaller things. Um, so my my range was limited. So this seemed like the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a big old piece, and it's he's very much the focal point, even if it is uh, nominally about. Uh, all of his family and stuff, but he's. And uh, I, will, go on. I will say I got everything I wanted. Yeah, quite. I mean, you definitely backed up your case that Topol is uh, a good performer. Anyway, that's sort of the that's the assertion you made, and I think this confirms it. He's certainly charismatic, at least in this. It's a weird one, Fiddler on the Roof, because I generally have always associated associated it with oh, a prestige musical. And I've always gone, I don't actually know what that's about. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very easy to assume it's about a fiddler on the roof, and then it turns out, not so much. It's about a milkman without a horse, or with a horse, but a, a limp. A horse with a limp. But um, anyway, it's not called Milkman on a Path, or whatever. That's the weird thing about this, where the actual fiddler on the roof itself, the actual fiddler on the roof in this is the least important part of the whole thing. And I think, not a very good metaphor, and on the show we always come up with quite piss-poor metaphors, occasionally quite reasonable ones, but I don't know that this fiddler on the roof being a metaphor for the, uh, I guess in this case, Ukrainian uh, Jewish community, the peasant farmers in this particular part of the world are like fiddlers on, uh, are like a fiddler on the roof in that they're both musical and sort of there's a wonderment and musical quality to them, or a, or a kind of artful, positive vibe, and also they're precariously placed on the roof. The roof is a dangerous place. I think that's the idea of the metaphor, and that they can slip at any point because the I guess the Jewish people are always uh, having a tricky time just getting on with lives. They always moved on or under some sort of oppression, uh, oppress, oppressive regime. I think that's what the metaphor's supposed to be. Topol explains mm. it, and he doesn't make as much sense as I am, I don't even think, to be honest. <laughs> Which is rare. Uh, Abby, had you seen this? Did you, do you have any other further thoughts on what the fuck it means by Fiddler on the Roof? 
I'm not even 100% clear whether or not they can see him. Because mm. sometimes they look at him. I wondered at one point if he's just a... Um, if he was just an hallucination brought on by alcohol. <laughs> I think... I think... Uh, it's like one of the... One of the milk... Uh, no, they all they all drink the same milk. There's not even that one pint of milk that's gone off and that is making. Uh, uh, oh, actually, what is Topo's character's name? I've forgotten now. Tevia. Tevia is hallucinating a fiddler, I think, because he's been at some sort of fucked up milk. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just. Well, he. That's the other thing that's interesting about him as a character is Tevia also has long chats with God. He also kind of rhetorically talks to God and questions him. It's quite a whimsical way he does it. He's not just praying. He seems to be in a constant conversation with God. I really like his relationship with God in this. Where (laughs) it's sort of like, it's his... He talks to him more like a boss you quite like, but he's still the boss. You know? Mm. Yeah. I admire you, but you control my life, so there's always a bit of a... Like argument to be had as to how things are going. <laughs> yeah, it's good, and he. Oh, um. Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting char- character, but he does seem to hallucinate a fiddler that is in some way metaphorical of the plight of the people that the film is about. So yeah, there's that. But Abby, what did you? What did you? Had you heard of this film? Seen it before? Oh, well, it's super famous, isn't it? So I'd heard of it. I think I'd seen it when I was little. But I didn't remember a great deal about it other than like just the the big musical numbers, like Anthony said. They're the most like they're really memorable, to be fair. Yeah, I think the the song "If I Were a Rich Rich Man" uh, is you know very catchy, but also it can easily be uh, cropped out and used in other contexts. Like it's often quite handy to have a song about the aspirations of the poor. You know, like that can apply. It doesn't have to be a story about Jewish villagers. It can be about anything, and be remixed by any uh, artist that I think has been the case across the years. Um, yeah, I'm. I think I'm slightly ashamed to admit, but I think the first time I really knew of the song was when Gwen Stefani did a cover of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, sadly, is probably more popular. That this, I don't know, maybe not. A lot of people like musicals and stuff, and this is like a pretty heralded as quite a good one. Um, so yeah, I hadn't seen it. Abby, you might have seen it, but didn't remember it properly. And Anthony, this was your first time as well, so we were all coming to it fresh, despite it not being that uh, well, despite being famous, I guess. And uh, Joe was weird, right? The first time where we watched, I watched it like a little while ago before the podcast, but this year or last year or something. And I was like, oh, it's very Jewish, isn't it? And I feel like, probably should have known that about this. <laughs> I mean, it seems, it seems like, you know, if Macbeth is the Scottish play, then Fiddle on the Roof is the Jewish musical. It's like predominantly concerned with, um, I guess. Yeah, just Jewish people, but also tra- these are like uh, like turn of the century Jewish peasant farmers in uh, uh, Ukraine. So it's not quite the contemporary Jewish world, but yeah, I mean, you know, things have moved on for the Jewish people, but they're, they're a little. They're, I mean, things have moved on for the Jewish people. They're a little less blown away by uh, sewing machines now, but uh, the general plight, I guess, has always been the same for. 
uh, them as a as a race, community, or religion, however you want to think of them. So it's like a it's kind of like a universal how the Jewish community have been treated and what their attitude is. It's kind of a like a uh, I feel like it's a a big what's the right word like um not example. It's like a it's like a cornerstone piece about what it is to be part of a Jewish family or community, isn't it? It's also like a, that a particularly compelling point in history as well. That particular period in Russia is fascinating. Yeah, we're talking the build up where communism and the peasant class were gonna uprise against the Tsar and the the elite and uh the ramifications were and still are being felt today and yeah, it was definitely a, a a critical historical moment and it's it's very often that the story you know stories are about you know communists and the royalty and peasants and middle class and work and, and upper class people but actually within that there are other sub stories in this sort of uh how the jewish are treated in russia then now and whenever is it is always a sort of uh interesting and volatile thing isn't it mm mm-hmm. Anyway, so it's yeah, it's it's a it's odd to have such such a serious uh, political uh, thing running through quite a whimsical comedy. Like it's it's mainly a comedy of like how people are, especially the Jewish people, and it's kind of it's a weird tone actually because it's like mostly about one family and the community, and then it's also about the hardship in general of this community so it's it's an odd tone it's actually quite it does quite well to keep the tone light for for the most part and i think that's down to how topol is playing it and also the how the character is written as well it's mm. just like a, a fairly positive uh person isn't he this milkman yeah and the whole film is uh, generally just kind of like an, an affirmative kind of experience like yes there are conflicts but they're usually resolved in the correct way if you know what i mean hmm. like like love does conquer tradition mostly yeah mostly yeah yeah i think i think it really um is a, is not just concerned with the bigger implications of history and how jews are treated within other cultures but also how the within Within the community of, of uh, in this case, fairly orthodox Jews, how they have their own hypocrisies and how they have their own debates and age and like how the age gaps in people differ their opinions and political stance and the the way the community comes together and argues and fights but also gets over it and helps each other and so it's about uh, dissent within your own group, not just in a bigger picture. So there's like kind of interesting mm. things going on throughout the story. And uh, I, I was impressed with how funny it was, because it could have been such a drag. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, when we were first going to watch it, we all kind of realised it's like, oh, it's a three-hour film kind of thing about probably... Well, my impression of it was, knowing not very much from it, it was going to be quite a, a dour kind of sad um affair yes um, yeah consider, considering you know where it was set and what it was about and stuff um but uh but no no it uh it uh 
grips you, I think, and amuses you and mm. does all kinds of things. I, yeah, I, it didn't. It didn't feel like three hours long. It was no. very well paced, I think. Yeah, I, I think it could have. Uh, you know, it, in order to make it more palatable, you could. You there's bits you could leave out, and you know, I'm sure they did trim a few bits from the musical itself, but. Uh, yeah, it could be it could be more streamlined, but it's like you know, it should keep you going through most of it. Um, I think there might there might be a few people who flag you. I think you definitely have to be an adult. I think children who can quite mm. easily enjoy musicals would find this one a bit of an ask. Like the songs and stuff might see you through, but a lot of the humour is more adult. The topics are only really directly relatable to older people. I think particularly if you're a, a father or growing up as a teenager and falling in love, then you might like respond to the teenagers and, and young people who are like, oh, we don't want to live your way how you say. You know, like There's stuff, but it's mostly adults were like this, but children going to be a bit lacking for interest, I think. Mm-hmm. If you're a beard, if you're, if yeah, if you're a beard enthusiast, as we sometimes are, fuck me, you quids in. This one's got all beards all the time. <laughs> and I had a few nice turn reveals as well, where you don't see that beard until they've turned, and you're like, <gasps> yeah, there's oh, a Father. Catholic, Catholic, <laughs> the very, uh, the one time we get a Catholic priest, he's a slightly more orthodox looking one, and he's uh, got a, some sort of head headpiece on and he turns around and it's like whoa alan moore what's going on <laughs> i think he might win actually i think he wins the beard contest he had the biggest one i think yeah i mean everyone's you know looking pretty good a lot of uh a lot of cool beards i mean that's the thing i don't know i don't know a heap about uh no none of us are jewish uh but we i think we're all vaguely familiar with some of the aspects of judaism and some of the cultural uh, things that come up in other places. Um, so that, there was there was a few things I was like, oh, this orthodox stuff. I mean, there's a lot of old-fashioned stuff. I mean, it's set in the early 1900s anyway, so it's going to be dated. But uh, you learn some shit, you know, if you don't know. And if you do know, you probably relate to it and know how things have changed or how things have stayed the same. So you're definitely going to get a wealth of uh, knowledge, if you're ignorant, to some of the stuff. Mm. Let's deal with the story and see what comes up, but but uh, we won't go every. There's so many parts to it, but it, it breaks down fairly simply. Tavia introduces himself and gives you a sense of who he is. Uh, we get to understand that he has three daughters, all roughly around the age where they'll be expected to marry, which is fucking young considering um, no. <laughs> the olden ways of the world. Uh, and he's got three daughters, and each of them. Uh, either going to be betrothed to someone that's a, like the first one gets the most focus because there's like a an element of we're gonna f- there's a matchmaker in the village and that's the person who sets you up with a marriage and all the parents all like where the father agrees to the marriage or sets it up and blah 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 there's a lot there but essentially it's one marriage one daughter and then the problems and uh, the alternative presented there then that's followed by the two other daughters who also have marriages that are uh, mm. not as the father would like. And well, he, that's the thing. It gets further and further away from tradition with each daughter. So the first one, just like she gets an offer from an old man, but she would rather marry this young guy that she's keen on. But they're both 
from within the right circles. It's just usually the dad would pick a marriage. Yeah. Sorry, Daniel. Then the second one. What was it doing? The second he's one. He's a teacher, oh. and he's a little more. They're a little less bothered about asking, isn't it? He's not. Yeah, fr- yeah he's not from the community. I think he's but still he is Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. And he's got. He's like a little more. Well, he's like. Isn't he like Joseph? He joined the Communist Party, and he's a bit more politically active. And he's not. Mm. He's not a very traditional person. Whereas uh, I think the the impoverished the, the problem with uh, Myrtle was it or whatever his first the first guy was is Muscle. that M- Mottle, do you say Mottle, mm. yeah yeah he is just he's fine but he's he's not a rich butcher and he doesn't have the world's best name Laser Wolf I mean. That's the first prize. <laughs> how do, how does this film? How does this film and not like Transformers have a character called Laser Wolf? And like it's a fucking brilliant name. <laughs> but he's just some big hairy old butcher, and so a young woman is less interested. She'd much rather hook up with the uh, geeky looking uh, tailor who has not quite made it as a professional yet because he has to scrimp, save, and work hard to get there. But uh, you know, so he has prospect, prospects, but not much. Whereas an established older gentleman is uh, preferable to, I guess, uh, a conservative dad, head of the household, etc. And then the third daughter, she wants to marry someone who isn't Jewish, and is is a Catholic. And a ginger. I mean, I mean, it is to the ginger daughter, but come on, the real. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's Catholic, I guess, uh, but he's he's not Jewish, and that's like last straw type shit you know i mean this is the thing is we're getting a journey where the dad is slowly accepting that he's willing to bend his traditional ways and he can understand letting the younger generation get their way and you know he kind of is making peace with it and but question- that last one really ooh. yeah it's a, it's the one that has the most resistance and the bitterest result i guess um and it's weird isn't it because this is all going on while also the kind of I don't know, some sort of police force or government officials are turning up and are, are basically and initially the first time is like to like top all or um, Tavia I should say Tavia is in good relations with the policeman who sort of or whatever who is in charge normally of the area but that policeman has to keep the thumb quite firmly on on the the group or, or the village like basically the ukrainian government and the police force are quite hard on the jewish community quite prejudiced and have to like there's like a demonstration whatever that means that means just basically one of the wedding party gets smashed up and then later on they're deported from the country entirely as a group but just for being jewish i guess and just you know that that classic oh you're jewish you little mate What's yours is ours. Fuck right off. See you. Bye, Jews. Sorry. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But that's going on in the background to these three daughters being married off to lesser and lesser suitable gentlemen as far as uh, this particular milkman is concerned. Seems weird to say milkman because it's not your kind of uh, cart-driving milkman. He, well, he does actually self-power his cart. He's a bit like Fred Flintstone and he he wouldn't choose to uh, pull his own cart, but it's the first thing that happens really to uh, Tavia is that his horse is limp, 
uh, has or has a bad leg or something, isn't it? Right? And lame. Lame. His horse is lame. It's not limp. <laughs> His horse is <laughs> all boneless. Boneless puddle <laughs> on the floor. So he ends up, like, he's dragging his cart, which is some nice symbolism for mm. how uh, hard his life is. And gives him the the opportunity to have, to set the tone of his conversations with God, because he's mourning about his horse being lame. Yeah. And it, it, it's, yeah, it's really, I really like, I really dug, <clears throat> I really dug all those, like, asides to God, and the fact that he does it with a kind of whimsy and a dedication to God, he's always... Uh, whenever whenever Tavia has something to say, he often uses his catchphrase, like the good book says, and then he quotes something that probably isn't in the Bible or, uh, or rather in the uh, Quran, right? Are we in the right religion? No. No. Yes? The... No. I mean, this ignorance isn't going to stand in the podcast. We should get it right. Torah? Torah? The Torah. Yeah. Oh, I had to reach back in my memory there. <laughs> yeah. But so. But he also, like does jokes that way as well whereas one of them says like money is the curse of humanity and he goes may god curse me with it and may i never recover best line i love that line because <laughs> it is just like yeah someone bemoaning about like it's yes yeah, one of the pr- prospect husbands isn't it just like oh, money's terrible and capitalism and it's evil etc it's like yeah well i'd happily be cursed with it. Yes, like you said, you kind of delivered the the gist of the joke, and it's so fucking good. And in fact, the one of the key music numbers to understanding Tavia is he sings about all of the things he would do and what he would want if he was a wealthy man. And he has a really good song and dance number in a barn. He's sort of singing to his cows and his horse and things, and feeding them and dancing about the barn. And it's pretty good. He's got a really uh, weird but fun dance as well, <laughs> like a really Odd I loved, shuffle. Yeah, I loved his arm jiggling. I'm going to call it. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a, a Jewish or a Eastern European vibe or what, but uh, it's definitely a kind of odd, old-fashioned shuffle thing with his arms and all that. I can't really wrap my words it's around it. To describe, but it's cracking. Yeah, even at one point when he's quite annoyed. He sort of uh, the, the daughter he's most annoyed with. He sort of does the arm gesture at her when he doesn't know what to say. Almost later on in the film. But I, I love that number, and it shows Topol is, like, you know, musically capable and witty and kind of, you know, he's not exactly, uh, he's no Dick Van Dyke. But, he, you know, he it, it performs it admirably, and it, it really puts you on his side. And considering he's going to be a sort of uh, tradition-obsessed, uh, conventional father figure, that it's kind of weird. Usually you'd be utterly against that kind of person, you know? Mm. But yeah, the, yeah, well, he is quite... In many ways, he's the antagonist to the more progressive things in the story. But that's why it's compelling, because he comes around and you're like, oh, come on, Tevye, come around. Come on. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird um, duality, because he's so... He's, he's both, like, the the symbol for, like, the tradition in the film. But if you think about it, he's also probably... The, the most revolutionary character because he's the one who accepts breaking all the traditions and finding ways around for for his daughters to marry people. Yeah, it's almost like his agreeable lovingness is what uh, trumps and allows him to justify things. There's a lot of that in the piece, actually. Uh, I mean, rabbis and, and, and uh, famously 
uh, and presented in this film for kind of negotiating and inter- in interpreting uh, religious texts and and the, I guess, the belief system and fitting it to whatever parameters to tell you what's right and wrong and to settle debate. They're kind of the judge in a sense of what's allowed within a religion. And so there's a lot of this, well, there's a lot of like, well, on the one hand and then on the other hand, and they do these like songs and discussions a lot in the piece where they like religion says this but it could be interpreted that and if I, if we are if god was god is love then god must be this and you know there's a it's the weighing up of what is okay what's acceptable and uh what you have no choice in in the, you know and how to be- settle and accept that you know so it's a really mm. interesting because it's always about the debate of things it's kind of odd for a musical to do that mm. and for me one of the one of the things that surprised me the most is how much this doesn't feel like a musical, if you know what I mean. It it's it feels a lot more grounded and naturalistic than you expect like a big movie musical to be. Yeah, I think the location helps. So it's like a fairly uh bleak village and farm community. So it's like it feels cold even in the summer months and it looks sad and lame but everyone's sort of happy enough to live there and it's got a very realistic look all the clothes and stuff none of, none of it is really exaggerated particularly so yeah like there's no there's, there's no like you know touches of vibrant colour like there is like the scene later on with like the zombie dream sequence which is probably the most out there kind of out there scene in it which feels like a musical yeah um uh, but other than that, it's really it's really grounded. It's kind of mute uh, in, of, in its colour tone and stuff. One of uh, the reviewers on Letterboxd described it as the brownest musical they'd ever seen. <laughs> there was some there was some tidbit that the director wanted it to have a certain colour palette, and they actually put like someone's uh, like stockings or tights over the lens of the camera to give it the mm. right tone. I don't know if, how true that is. But that's definitely, yeah, the sort of muddy. I mean, there's def- in the in the earlier part, it's more summery. It's like more of a harvest kind of color palette. But uh, as it goes on, the more winter brown palette comes in. Uh, you know, yeah. we go through. That's one of the things that sucks about it. Actually, is the passage of time is a bit vague. Like it, every now and again, characters who seem to have only met fairly recently start talking and saying dialogue, implying that a lot of time has passed. And you're like, what has it? Uh, like Across fully between tell. the first and second act, a lot of time passed, but they didn't make that like they mentioned it in passing, but they could have been a little bit more explicit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not uh, it's not deal breaker, but I did find it a bit. Oh, you got the gist, but you're like, oh right, I didn't realize. Sorry, <laughs> fucking. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it's really I I like Topol in this, and I think he's the the MVP of the piece. And I, I I can relate to him because I'm not you know I'm not a dad of of six like Jewish girls, but I kind of feel for him and is like I'm not I mean I don't I, I actually kick against religion most of the time I think tradition's kind of a waste of time if it isn't of practical use I mean it's good to have tradition culture is important but also don't let it get in the way of justice and fairness and sense and don't ruin people's lives with tradition you know you've got to accommodate people that's my view but I couched in the way he thought. I, 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 you know, I related to him, and 
he just wants his life to be nice. He just wants to like be rich and have have his family be safe, secure, and happy, which I think is a very dad thing. Um, and I think he's a you know a relatively simple bloke, easy to please, uh, but he's not that easy to please because all the things that would please him are not going his way, you know. So. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It's it's really likable this, and he's also in the community. He's 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 sort of a community leader a little bit, but he's also you know an equal to them. He's not like the leader. He's but he's a big voice within it, and he's part of the comedy debate and part of the the fun of the village as well, isn't he? Yeah, just yeah. Like I said before, I got everything I wanted out of this film because I don't know. He's just got this. Presence. He's, he's hugely charismatic. Mm. It's awful. I like he's and always. He's got, go he's got like a surprising amount of range as well. Like he, he goes through pretty much everything in this film. Yeah, sad, mm. sad, drunk, angry, angry in a different way, jubilant. You know, it's 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 all there, singing, all singing, all dancing. And what I like is his character is pretty much always working while he's doing the story of the film. So he's like dishing out milk, or he's pulling his cart, or he's like he's he's constantly busy as a father. And the the plot sort of happens to him and around him. And I mean, it's, everyone is it's like a working community. There's a big point being made of the main thing that's important is, you know, you're Jewish and you work hard and you know, there's sort of a we can get over this, we can get over anything together, uh, if we, and but but while we're getting over things, we're also gonna have humour and high spirits. We're not gonna let it beat us down and make us bitter people per se. Hmm. So it's a fairly positive piece, even though it's fucking bleak at times. Hmm. So yeah, um, I guess you guys want to talk about marriage set up one. Uh, before we do that, I just wanted to say that at, at this point, like the first two songs were the songs that I knew, um, mm. and and they came rather quickly, and that made me slightly worried. Uh, yeah. It's like if if all like you know generally, you know in in pop culture, all the best bits come to the surface, um, and if like if it had spent it that quickly, I was slightly worried at this point. Uh, yeah. it was going to go slightly downhill because it's like, well, to me, it's kind of spent its load really quickly. Um, but that that didn't, you know, some that, of that the... wasn't what happened. Yeah, some of the later ones were a bit of a drag, I will admit. But it clipped along fine. What mm. do we have? We had like tradition, tradition, where we get a kind of uh, bold song, basically giving you some uh, information about the Jewish religion about uh, their special prayer vests was it? I don't know what they're called. What do they? Wear? They have like a special vest all the men wear, and people oh, cover yeah. their heads and stuff. And I don't remember it that specifically, but yes, we get we get a, we get a crash course in what traditional Jewish values are. And as the piece goes on, you get a sense of well, it's uh, a misogyny steeped culture, but in a sort of accepted way. And, you know, men have, men are in charge, but, you know, there's proud, like, you know, uh, sometimes a very strong, it's strong not- women within the community and, you know, a shared burden across the genders as well. It's very, like, 
in that way, it's it's um, identifiable with British culture from, say, the 60s and 70s, where, like, the patriarch thinks he's in charge, but the matriarch's really in charge. And it's it's got that tension yeah. in it a lot of the time. Play for laughs as well. Yeah, that's that's true. It's ne- it never it's not making a big serious case for anything. It's just it's showing you and explaining to you stuff. So we got tradition as a song, and we get a set. We get a, you know. Oh, here we go. Oh, I see. I see. Tavia's a money grabbing Jew. All he's concerned about is wealth. <laughs> no, um, but it's like setting him out as a as a big dreaming milkman who would quite happily. Uh, retire to the lap of luxury and have it easy, and who can blame him? Uh, what else? We get like the matchmaker song where we we get a feel, like basically we get we get the idea of the matchmaker set up where there's this old bid, biddy with glasses who oh that old woman <laughs> well a lot of the, a lot of the comedy comes from her, her hypocrisies and the fact that she's an endlessly nattering woman who's got an opinion on everything and is sort of a busybody and a meddler. But that's her, jo- her job is to meddle and to set people up and to basically be the sort of mother hen who puts the younger people in couples and and makes political sort of arrangements so that the community can prosper in a traditional way. But she's mostly a nattering old hen. Opening people's fucking post and reading it. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. No shape on it. So, but it's always it's played for laughs. Like it's played as a, like a people who are Jewish will definitely relate to this and fight. They'll always have that relative who's a bit like this. Or it felt very much like a warm, like fun, like the 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 amusement of the community. It was like this is how Jewish people are and and behaved, and this is the humour within the families and and friends and villages. You know, isn't it? Hmm. But we get her. There's a matchmaker song, right? I can't, I can't remember all of the things to be honest. But we yeah, it's tradition. Then it's matchmaker. Then it's if I were a rich man, which are the three most famous ones. Yeah, and I think one of the shitter ones is perhaps where um, was it M- Mottle? I can't, still can't remember his name. M- M- the, 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 the? Yeah, Mottle. The Mottle. The call him the tailor. The, the tailor. Yeah. Old uh, square eyes or circular eyes? I don't know. Everyone's got circular eyes. Anyway, mot- mot- <laughs> the, ta- the tailor's uh, song, when, when he gets to marry or is allowed to marry his uh, long-term friend, uh, his oh, their song in the... F- miracles. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's the one mm. of the kind of pussy lame songs <laughs> where they get to celebrate their love. And you're like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess this can happen. <laughs> But the, the like it's it's a, it's a fine song, but it feels like it doesn't belong here. I mean, because it's not if it was a, about their romance only, you'd understand having that kind of song. But I think it's the it's the victory hooray bit after. Basically, there's the the a large chunk of the story is uh, Tavia once has come to an agreement with his similar in aged colleague like there's a butcher who's either slightly younger or the name no or no the butcher's older. older and he makes a joke about it while i drunk yeah but him and the butcher in cahoots and the, the butcher just basically is like well my wife's dead so i want a hot sexy well sexy for a peasant farmer girl as my wife uh i can provide for her because you know I, i'm the rich butcher right so i'm you know 
Which I, that's, that's pretty good. And then so Tavia is like, yes, we can do this. Uh, I'll have married my daughter off to a wealthy guy. It's a bit weird having uh, my son be older than me. But but this works, and let's be happy and drink. And they basically get boozed up and uh, do a song and dance number in the Oh, tavern. that dance number. I love that dance number where they're doing like old man Jewish dancing and then those Cossack guys doing their dancing. That was cracking. Loved it. Because this film does include dancing. Like, even though it's, it's fairly realistic and pared down generally, visually... Yeah, you know, so we have we have like oh they're drunk that's an excuse to dance oh we're having a wedding that's an excuse to do some traditional dancing and to oh we're gonna like upend tradition and do some modern dancing and that you know so they they work in a little bit of dancing but there's never a big choreographed set piece is there really? Um, you know, argument could be made for the um, dream sequence. Oh but... yeah, that is the that is the anomaly really. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. This arrangement kind of comes to a uh, a problem in that so uh, one of the characters, Golda, the wife of Tavia, who is very good in this. She's a very long-suffering. Like I, I love the way actually when uh, Tavia's once Tavia's had his eyes opened a little bit by how the youth can love each other and marry for love, and he's like questioning his own relationship, the fact that it was arranged. He wants to know if his wife loves him. And it's a really sweet. Oh fuck off! We're not saying we're not we're not the kind of people who say we love each other. And I've been married. There's a whole I've been married to you for twenty five years, and now you want to know if I love you? Fucking hell! Are you real? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a really sweet moment where they sort of nudge each other mm. and give give a sign that they do love each other. But it's they're not that that kind of people. And so Golda is, as you suggested, Abby, the the sort of second head of the household. And she must be appeased when there's problems that either Tavia or one of the daughters has caused. And that kind of leads, oh, yay, we, we married our daughter off to Laser Wolf, the hairy butcher. And we're drunk and we've done it. Ray. And now my daughter wants to marry someone else. And oh, shit, I'm going to have to agree. Bollocks, you know? <laughs> and that allows for the zombie dream sequence in a way, doesn't it? Because he has to explain to his... Is that the right marriage? He has to explain... Yeah, he has to explain to his wife why he's changed from Laser Wolf to... Basically, he agrees because the tailor is not that bad and they love each other and, oh, go on. That's the kind of first conundrum, mm. isn't it? Like, Tavia has to sort of switch who he's, who he's accepting the marriage to. And did her, he makes up the story of having a dream of Laser Wolf's widow coming to him in a dream and also uh, his wife's grandmother and they're both giving him the same message of no, it's a bad match, don't marry him. He's a prick, his sausages are always horrible. It's it's a kind of Tim Burton-esque dream sequence graveyard bit, isn't it? It's quite weird. Because he's he basically in bed with Golda and is saying, oh, listen, i got to tell you, I had this dream, but I was basically told, don't marry this person to my daughter. And it's just like, that allowed us to see the dream and go into it, and it's like old people coming out of the grave, and it's like, what the fuck are we watching? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it doesn't... Um, 
really gel with the rest of the film, I suppose. That's my only um, real issue with it, is that tonally it's really different to everything else. But as a thing of itself, I, I do like it. I think it just it came at the right moment, if you know what I mean. Mm. It broke up what was a fairly grounded place as well. We've been in the village a while, we're getting a sense of who they are and who the people are. We've had a lot of jokes about... Uh, religious philosophy and how the community talks to each other and a lot of shtick about reading the news and not getting on with it. There's been a lot of like levity, there's been a lot of establishing shit and then this is the first pocket of uh, quite bizarre or whimsical musicalness. And so it is a nice uh, breaker. But I probably would be like, three hours guys. Oh. Three fucking hours. That scene's coming out. Can't he just? He could just say to his wife, "I had a dream. I've changed my mind," and she could be like, "Oh, you bastard!" and sing about that. But fundamentally, we don't need that fucking sequence. As 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 whimsical and weird as it is, that's got to go. Get it down a little bit in time. Christ, there's definitely oh. some bits that are like, maybe for time, guys. It's a, I mean, three hours. Fuck's sake, like. I did. I did like it though, because it was. A kind of reversal, if you if you think about it, because it's it's Tevia trying to use tradition, like the the kind of the idea that that like dreams and spirits of uh, ancestors can give you advice mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's it... like even though he's even though he's concerned with protecting the tradition, he's also finding ways within the tradition to kind of move forward as well. Oh, he's using the system against itself. Cheeky bastard. Mm-hmm. It's true, it does give you a good insight as to his real where his real motivation's like. Because he wants to be traditional. He doesn't give any... It's not like, oh, my father was like this, I've been treated this way, I should... It's not a sort of selfish things must never change. It's like he finds his own uh, religious traditions important, and that he, he has a value in the community's way of doing things he's ha- he's a he's a happy man with jewish values he's happy with and it's it's within that that he you know he stumbles across these problems but they can be solved if you think of it in the right way and he's he's it's not that he's discompassionate it's just uh it takes a bit of persuading you know and and once he's persuaded he's willing to manipulate uh his belief system to get things to ease the transition, really, for himself. He wants his own life to be a bit smooth and easier because he'll get a lot of shit from his wife if he just flips and flops and lets his family run ragged all over him as well, isn't it? So it's funny and uh, worthwhile, even if it is uh, the one bit that stands out. Um, but yeah, that's basically settled then. They have their little hooray, we're, uh, the tailor and the... The girl, she, I can't remember the ages of the girls. Is it she's the oldest one, so therefore she's up for being married first? Yeah, they more they, or less go in age order, I think. Hmm. I think she says she's n- nearly twenty, so I assume she's like eighteen or nineteen or something like that. Yeah. I the found, oldest. I found her to be the most charismatic of the car- three daughters of the three of them. I felt like she gave the most personality away and like she there's like a mocking song they do of the matchmaker woman and they're, they're sort of teasing the younger daughter uh yeah they're teasing their younger sister and there's her and her you know the sisters are kind of having a song and number to themselves where 
they make fun of they kind of argue and make fun of each other or whatever. And I thought she mm. had the most going in terms of personality. You know, the other two seem to just be caught up in romance, whereas at least her relationship is one out of friendship and over a longer period of time, and she's older, and I don't know. I felt like if there was a subtle difference, it was that that daughter was, like, slightly more interesting, because the others just have less to do, I guess. Yeah, I get it. I think that it's a lot to do with um, the with Mortal, because we see him a bit more, and uh, uh, the actor, like, kind of portrays him in this um in this kind of like sheepish but um energetic way so you kind of like instantly like him yeah, as well cuz he manages to assert himself without ever being overly masculine he sort of he he is determined and mildly brave and that's respectable enough to get him what he wants and he's not a threat to anyone. He's not like a, he has got dangerous ideas. He's just sticking up for himself in a, in a modest way. And so you're right. He is. And he's there for longer. Like the other two men who sort of end up marrying the daughters. You got one who's a sort of radical, wow, think outside the box, man, kind of teacher. And then the other one is just a man who emerged fr- from some corn, <laughs> saw off some local bullies, and then is handsome enough to be of interest. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, covers it. And then, and then <laughs> so the the daughter he hooks up with is a little more. Her role is to just be the sad, <laughs> the sad youngest daughter, who has the most difficult job of, you know, because she's not re- like the other thing. The middle daughter gets to be rebellious, right? She's, uh, fuck you, I, we don't care. Where me and the teacher guy are in love. I mean, it's pretty creepy for a teacher to start seeing his student. But they're sort of age-appropriate, probably, so... Um, it's sort of fine. It's all about romance and liberal thinking and uh, idealism as well, because the, he's kind of about the uprising and the revolutionary thoughts and communism, perhaps. Have we mentioned that he is... I never remember which one's which. He's either Starsky or Hutch. Oh, oh we yeah, haven't I read that. that. I, like, I, I was like... I, I was looking at him, and I'm like, I know your face from somewhere. <laughs> and I, I didn't get it, so I looked it up at the end. I, I still don't know whether it was Starsky or Hutch. <laughs> but I also, learned, I also learned the fact that he's the, the director of The Running Man. Oh. Ah. Fun, cool. fun fact. It's probably because he's not sliding across the bonnet of a car at any point that you can't remember. Mm. <laughs> no cars? He would have if he was there. Oh, so if he'd have slid across a cart or a horse's back. Yeah. No, he does. He probably does ride a horse, does he? I don't know. He mainly like you know stirs up shit in the in a city somewhere in Kiev or whatever. Um, and he's the only one without a beard. No, the uh, the other young man, super Catholic guy, he doesn't have a beard, does he? Oh, I suppose. Uh, yeah. That's he's... how you know they're not traditional. And young and uh, not able to grow such handsome beards. I like Mortal has a beard. He's uh, one of the one of the team. Um... Yeah, I think that there's definitely, as it goes on, there's a d- diminishing returns on the interestingness of the characters, but maybe because they have less time. And the, there's not a lot of... Like, they devote a lot of time to this, the whole Lazy Wolf thing, the dream, the fact that they established the tailor as an old friend, the fact, you know, there's a lot... It's sort of weighted quite heavily to get 
Octavia to come round and then set the precedent like the next daughter then when they have a, a unsuitable uh, fiance in mind it's a little well you've come this far come a little further and then Tavia has to have these odd pause breaks where when he's presented with the young couples and their sort of annoying scheme to be happy and love each other and marry he has to have an aside with God. There's like these weird pauses, and he sometimes they, there's like an artificial distance put between them, and mm. he sort of sings and chats with God and weighs the pros and cons before re-continuing the sort of the story. Like a bit meta meta break in time, isn't it? But that's the thing. It, I like the way they've kept in some of the theatrical tradition traditions in the film, but they've done them slightly differently, and I'm like. Because there's no reason for you not to have a temporal break in a film while a character thinks about something like you would have a temporal break in the theatre. It's just people don't do it. Yeah, and I just... I, I really, They did that a few times for each time, like, the daughter presents the marriage to him. And, like, they always have that shot of them, like, really distant in the background, just kind of, like, still standing there. I thought those were, like, just really effective showing, like, the, the the distance between them as characters at that moment, but then also showing that I've stepped away from the action. and I thought they were quite effective. Mm, I did it. Yeah, I think they're also very funny that way as well. Like, a lot of the enjoyable factor of this film is it keeps being funny. They have these big stories going on, but they also chuck in a load of kind of almost Jewish style comedy, isn't it? It's the kind of social comedy. The stuff that's about the way people react. Some of it is very shtick heavy as well, so like one bit I'm reminded of is I think uh, at the time where the first couple are expecting a child, the rabbi and the people of the village who have been previously arguing about newspaper articles and good news and bad news and religion they're all interrupted and told oh the, the, there's a new arrival and then it's like obviously we're going to see the child and no it's the sewing machine and they all kind of make jokes and witty like there's a whole focus on the sewing machine and not the child and it's really good but it's very like Fordville-esque humor it's like it's, it's and I like this full of this sort of definitely comedy bits and gags and like yeah there's a lot of this stuff like and god bless the czar but far away from here yeah <laughs> there's lots of really funny lines like that and i really appreciate it because it's it makes it it's full of little laughs and you can watch it again and enjoy it. you can spot jokes you weren't so focused on because the first time you're kind of like oh god like i'm going through this and following it and you kind of miss the the sort of background stuff, the reactions, even the little looks Topol does. I think there's a bit where he accepts one of the marriage uh, is is going to go ahead, or no, he's he's they're having a wedding basically, and he there's a moment where they break from tradition and let the men and women dance. My God, men and women dancing at a wedding, and there's a look to like camera that sort of says he thought about God for a second. And he was like, nope, I'm dancing with my wife. And I like that they have these looks. All the actors are sort of doing their best to make the piece funny and entertaining and engaging. So It's the only real time that he plays the uh, husband-master card as well, because he claps <laughs> and um, Gilda obeys him and dances with him. But in that Was sense... it Gilda or was it Golda? I don't know if I've been saying oh, that. Oh, sorry, Golda. My bad. But I, I forgave him because I was like, this is a very stressful situation. 
So let's just go with it. Okay. And and in in the wedding where basically the young student ragamuffin is like, I'm gonna cross the rope. <laughs> like Jewish weddings take place under a canopy and there's uh formal clauses most weddings have and there's lots of things that are in play that are traditional. But there's importantly a rope and men and women don't dance together. Men weirdly get drunk and dance with each other, that's fine. Um but yeah, the student guy crosses the student teacher guy crosses the rope and dances. Oh no. Yeah, he dances with his girlfriend. And then Tavia, in order to sort of calm things down and to sort of go, do you know what, this is fine, he demands that him and his wife will dance and he doesn't care anymore. And yeah, he he she's because they're conservative, they're like, we're not doing this. He claps and commands her <laughs> to dance and she does. Mm-hmm. But it's a kind of like, well, I'm in charge, but also I have to obey you. If, if I traditionally think we shouldn't dance, but tradition dictates men are in charge, it's the catch-22 means, I guess we're dancing then? And then I like the follow-up of the groom trying to assert himself with his wife, and his wife, no, I'm not dancing. And then he claps, and then she's like, fine, and then they all start having a nice time at the wedding as well, don't they? I like that aspect mm. of it. And we must mention the bottle-on-the-head dance that happens at the wedding too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Go on. Because I don't know. It was just it was just so mesmerizing. Just to just a simple thing of like balancing a bottle on your head whilst doing a dance routine. But not just dancing, but shuffling in the dirty dust across the floor. And it's almost Russian squat dance way, but also you're all in weird formal suits and hats as well. Mm. So. It's not like a full drunken party trick, is it? It's, I'm it's... very easily impressed by physical prowess because I have almost no physical prowess myself. <laughs> yeah, I I'm like. Just like... Go on. No, I wasn't really going to say. I mean, uh, yeah, because the the wedding is a big benchmark moment, I guess, because it's like the, the the marriage of the first couple, and. It is there almost as an example of like a traditional Jewish wedding and to maybe either be relatable to Jewish watchers or to show people like this is a little bit how it would have gone down or do- does go down and what the vibe is and what the the feel is. And it's a very happy occasion, but also uh, a very orthodox okay, occasion. And then it all, it's all very fun. And they have a little bit of like uh, comedy drama between Laser Wolf is kind of giving presence and accepting the fact that he's been fucked over but like he's been told he's going to marry this hot young woman and then it's not happening because love because love conquers all and he kind of is he presents a present and there's like a begrudging oh yes thank you and then tavia seems to overstep the mark as far as lazy wolf is concerned in talking and he's like i'm not that happy about it and they almost have a fight and it's all smoothed over though before the wedding is absolutely ruined because <laughs> it's a uh, you know it's set basically in Russia, Ukraine. You know we can't have a nice time. <laughs> That's not what Eastern Europe, Russia area is about. You have to ruin all happy occasions in these kinds of stories. Do you guys uh, recall? Oh yeah, the the captain that we mentioned. He has been given instructions to like basically cause turbulence within the community so he messes it up he he authorizes his men to break a bunch of stuff but they don't really hurt anyone he calls it there where he's like okay that's enough 
it is the first step towards what is eventually going to be them being evicted from their land, essentially. It's almost like the government has said, we must oppress you a bit so you don't get out of line. Well, there's a general sense of prejudice towards the Jewish people, as is often the case. And so this is a... An initial, like, I mean, the, the, his, the captain or policeman or whatever his name is, his men seem a bit more game for burning things and smashing things in an anti-Semitic way. But there's a sense of, look... We're just wrecking your wedding. No one's getting hurt. We're not committing an awful crime and uh, being awful and abhorrent and hateful. We're being as modest as we can, but we're told to. And there's that passing of the buck and the burden from the captain to the the state, I guess. Um, but yeah, it, he doesn't get a lot of airtime, his story. But he is in a very difficult position where he's actually friends with this community, but it is his job to hassle them. Yeah, and he's like, it's like you gotta. It, it is rough, but it's also that thing. I think he's challenged mainly by uh, Tavia and the and the villagers who are annoyed. There's like, you know, why are you doing this? You don't have you don't have to actually. You could be more, like, why can't you de- defy the higher ups? You know, or do more to s- stop it. And uh, really, the guy, the captain, does have a point. It's it's in. That's it's you know what could he if he doesn't someone else will come along and do it and be worse possibly, so I don't know it is it is an awful position to be put on but it's also you know you are smashing up a wedding so mm. who's the who's the real dick here? But yeah, it does it does turn a bit more like initially there's a, like okay stop and then it kicks off again and they smash a few more things and it's like there's just that it's that sad moment where the whole family are looking at each other like oh that's that's bullshit and, it's, and then Tavia's just like look what are you doing tidy up you know. And they get they get to picking up the smash stuff, and it just it just it's the souring of of the wedding that sort of says, "Hey, this is about bigger, scarier things than just who marries who." Hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a like the first act is kind of like the the more affirmative act, and then the second act is a, a lot more dour than the first, and it kind of ends with um, Tevia like. Like looking up and kind of like pleading and asking why to God and just being depressed. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your fiddler on the roof now, mate? Um Yeah, so we get a little bit like um it gets it's it sort of goes in an interesting direction for a while where we see a little more of I think it's meant to be Kiev or whatever. And we get a sense of the uprising and the political changes that are happening. Is that before or after the interval? I don't know. It's... I feel like it's before. I do, I, I got to I am confused is because I watched Doctor Shafarko, which is also really long and mm. Russian and about a similar time period and similar themes, and I was just like, uh, well, that had a quite late entrance or whatever it said the bit. I think all? it's the start. <clears throat> I think it's the start of the second act, because that's when his. At the start of the second act is when Tevia has a monologue about Hoddle and Perchik. Oh, names! So I'm not good at names. That's <laughs> it. Perchik is the revolutionary guy. Yeah, he basically rocks up in the village with radical thoughts like uh, fucking don't listen to the man and traditions are not that great and the what does the good book know anyway? 
Um, and he's, you know, he, like basically, uh, Tavia's like, just have some fucking cheese and stop mourning. Have some cheese and stop your fucking preaching, mate. I'm the one with loads of anecdotes about what the good book says. So, yeah, Perchik, if that's what he was called, the the revolutionary student academic type who's smart and, you know, has read books and things. It isn't just he's not like I like that the village seems to have an allotted guy with glasses who reads everything. <laughs> he's the bookseller, I think. Right, I presume they're like the rabbi and a few of the farmers could read, but there was a passing of notes to that guy. He's the allocated read the thing and be the bearer of bad news guy. But uh, yeah, we this this uh suitor with his little cap, the the um Starsky and or Hutch guy. Uh, he has, a, you know, he's the one of the daughters falls in love because I think he dances with her or gives her some mad out there thoughts about liberation uh, by a river at one point, and then after that, it's assumed they're in love, and that he. But he's also kind of the shitty thing about him is that the problem with, uh, I guess, in that case, Eastern European turn of the century fucking culture is men go off to a place. Especially in like Russia, Ukraine and stuff, it's the men leave their they're married and the wife stays at home and the men can be gone for years on end doing man things, like starting governments or killing people or serving some lofty goals of some leader, you know? And so I did find him a bit of a prick, because it's like, you're right, you're the underclass and you're fighting against oppression. But Fuck women, right? America, is, you know, like it's still <laughs> sexism's still a problem, <laughs> like you know. He also like part of their shtick together was that he kept thinking about marriage in like political and philosophical terms, and she's like, and affection. Yes. Yeah. I kind of was like, why do you love this guy? He's clearly preoccupied with politics and. Uh, the the movement rather than you. You're like a, he will send for me, and it's like this prick's in prison. And and I was starting to go, Tavia, you're right, mate. Even if love is important, this guy's a fucking you know problematic. Even from a liberal father position, you'd be like, I mean, the guy's in prison. Even if he's fighting for the right cause, he's gonna drag you. You're gonna get killed or shot up against the wall somewhere, right? You're being pulled away from your family into God knows what. I'd be concerned if if it was my daughter, so... And he keeps saying, like, oh, but she's happier than ever. And I'm like, is she, though? Or is she just telling you that in her letters and actually she's <laughs> crying next to the fire with the last potato? Yeah. Is that what's happening? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but she never... She does seem... She never has a sign of actually she's, like, a Stockholm syndrome. She does... Doesn't have anything to suggest she... She perhaps is more liberal and wants to, you know, have something, contribute in some way to something. But she, it's not the focus, really. It's more a sort of suggestion of let me marry who I want. I'm not about tradition um, than anything else. So, and then they have the, basically, there's a bit more of a teary parting where she catches a train to go to wherever he is in the north or whatever. Um, That's one of the slowest songs as well. I'm not sure about that one. Go on. Far from the home I love. That one. It's quite dour. Far from the home I love. That one. I'm just like, this is three hours long. <laughs> 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 uh, 
three days long train journey probably for whoever. <laughs> yeah, oof, yeah. It does it does maybe lag a little bit. Um Yeah, I don't know what yeah, anything you cut out, you sort of remove potentially the story you're trying to s- sell, you know, or t- t- talk about. I don't know. Yeah. Anthony, what do you think? Was this a relationship you invested in and invested in or what? Um, a little bit, because this is the one that was, like, fraught with the most kind of sadness. Like, they, they love each other, but he's, like, you now he's, like, in jail and all she can do is wait for him. Yeah. And it, it's it's also, you know, he's on the right side of history in a sense, isn't he? He's, he's not fighting for oppression or fascism. This is a liberal person, you know, trying to promote fairness and fight for a good cause and being treated poorly and imprisoned for as a political person rather than you know, an actual criminal. So it is really, it is like right on of him. But harrowing because it's just so bleak. It's like you gotta let the woman stand by her man, yay! Even if th- through through better and mainly worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about? And again, uh, it was it, it's a decent song, but I, it, it, Abby is kind of right compared to the the rest. This is the kind of like slowest and the kind of saddest song. Hmm. Uh, we get a bit of jump in time as well, so it's like you know, time progresses while she's waiting to hear from him. He's in prison. She's gone. She leaves the family, and then also, uh, time skips forward some more because we were going into the third phase. That's about the youngest daughter, who has been quietly sort of seeing this uh, non-Jewish guy. Um. But basically, they just got she got they got talking. It's really nothing to it. That's you know. the thing. He saw racing bullies. He said, "I've seen you at the bookshop often. Do you want to have this random book that I've got?" Not really. Are you sure? No. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> what happens. I'm like, wow, this courting guy's riveting. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I don't know, it would have been a step too far if she'd have wanted it to be like it would have been this would have been a good opportunity for something a little more out there. So we got like the the first being, Oh, I'd rather a more affluent and powerful person within the community. Oh, I'd rather a less rebellious person. Oh, I don't want someone outside the religion. It's like I don't know, this might be she's a lesbian if you're doing it now. Uh, maybe even the middle one would be a lesbian and like the last one would be god knows what I don't know I don't know how you'd really test a conservative I want to marry the trans woman father but we've I mean a lesbian is fine but a trans woman where where are we now like first your your first daughter want to wanted to marry a latino man now now a, now a lesbian and then a trans woman what next you'd be marrying a chicken you know like I don't know how you'd update this, but it does seem a bit meh. Some guy without the same religion, that's a problem. It's pretty dickish, because when he says no, which you can understand his position on, he's particularly... The trouble is, I think, Tavian is particularly fuck right off, you never even to see him, this is not happening at all. He gets really quite unreasonable, and has a kind of poody with his wife as well, and gets all cross with everyone, and starts saying, I am the man of the house, and I want to see the sewing machine. (laughs) 
and I'm going to look at it, and he looks at it for one second, and then comes out. Right now, you can go home. Like he's getting really, <laughs> getting really frustrated, and it, it builds to a quite a funny climax. For it's quite a tense moment where he's basically told his daughter he's forbidden from seeing this uh, non-Jewish bloke. You know. I really like Topol shouting. So funny. He's one of like it. Not a lot of people can shout and be liked shouting. But he's top three, I'd say. It's because it's, bo- it's booming and comical, and he is the butt of many of the jokes. His, it's almost like a faux masculinity when he's crossed, isn't it? Like, a, I'm not really this assertive. i more like a pouty child, really. Yeah, and he, he, just not just the shouting, but like there's so many moments where, I don't know how to describe it, but he's like, he can go from like mumbling and quiet to like really loud and then back to quiet again and then really loud. Mm. But and he plays it so well. It's great. And he's so eccentric, whether he's talking to like his uh friends and colleagues in the village or whether he's having a quiet word with one of the cows or something. <laughs> or just like it's a bit where he like says goodbye to all his animals and it's like, Oh and he's just telling them like you know, telling his uh, lame horse to take care of his leg and stuff and He's just this, uh, you know, he's sort of, he's the one in the village who's more eccentric, more creative, and he's the only one who gets to be meta, so he's Mm. much more interesting for, you know, his chats with God, his chats with horses, his proclamations to the sky, and his singing and dancing, and, you know, he's really good, and it's it's such a, like like you mentioned earlier, Anthony, he has to do a lot of different things to stop all, and he really excels at it, I think. Mm. Really good presence in the film. But anyway, he's been a dick to his daughter and has said, No! You are banished and ashamed. And uh, yeah. and then basically his daughter and her boyfriend get married off screen and the mum has to go and like, ask, just to timidly go and into like a, an orthodox Catholic uh, church or something and has to like, um, Can I talk to the reverend? Please. <laughs> I need to, and then just basically just find out. She was just trying to find out what had happened to her daughter, and that all of this off-screen. This they, the daughter had got married, uh, presumably in a Catholic wedding, and uh, eloped with this guy. I'm okay with it because the last thing we needed was more stuff on screen. True, which is we don't want to get it. I mean, this could have been a whole fucking TV series by the sounds of it, really. Um, Actually, yeah. But at the same time, it was a bit sort of like, why is she being embarrassed in her church? What's happening? What's well, she's going on? Out of place, isn't it? You'd, it would be quite yeah. weird if uh, a, Catholic, a devout Catholic woman popped into a synagogue to talk to a rabbi. You know, it would be a bit, um, I don't know, uh, hello? Hello? Anyone, anyone at the Catholic counter? Whatever you call it in here, <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> um... Yeah, but it becomes really quite harsh then as well because uh, the mum doesn't get really any sympathy from Topol. Topol, uh, as Tavia, is like, she is dead oh. to me. Sorry. Yeah, he doubles down. He's really he's at it now because he he did the old meta on one hand, on the other hand, and he was like, actually, there's nothing on the other hand. You can't marry out. You have to marry a Jewish person. It's the one thing. It doesn't matter who the Jewish person is, but they do have to be Jewish. No fucking way am I budging on this. You're dead to me. And he's he's a little bit colder, which doesn't suit him. So he has to be basically the poody for the latter 
the latter part of the movie, you know? So it, it's just a bit, oh, don't do this. Can't we have a fun can't we have a fun story about a Jewish family all the way through? Does it have to get bogged down in tragedy upon tragedy? Yeah, come on, Tavia. Come on. Yeah. I mean, it's the least satisfying, because he obviously comes round on the other two to some extent. And on this one, the closest we get to him is he's he's like ignoring his daughter. He's does, She's dead to him. Even Golda can't really convince him to be more loving and caring. And even though the the other sister is like pleasant to the to her once she's outcast, he's like, nope, I'm just gonna pack. Now that we've been evicted, uh, he's like packing up the cart. The the Jewish folk are being told to piss off and up up sticks, which we can talk about a little bit. But like, essentially, um, Tavia is like, nope, I'm not looking at her. I'm not talking to her. And the best she gets is when they're all, like her and her husband are going off somewhere else with with all the other Jewish people moving away to other parts. Is He's like, uh, like God bless, or so God look after you or something, is it? Or I don't remember the exact wording, but yeah, it's the only real recognition he's given to her. Yeah, he speaks to her, which is like a sign, at least to the daughters, that, yay, we can send letters and stuff. And he's like... No, 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 grumble, grumble. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not much, considering how nice uh, Tavia is overall. It's really like, oh, a bit more than that, mate. You could at least like walk with them on the march out of Ukraine to wherever, I don't know. Or give her there a hug a or something. Thing. He said during that bit where he was having a bit of a poodie, he, he tells uh, Seitel not to forget the baby. I don't know if it's a joke or if it's meant <laughs> If he's genuinely saying like, "Don't forget the baby," well, I think I think it's it's a partly let's move on, and get on with this. The point is, we we all have to get on a big trek across country with all our possessions. So let's let's stop worrying about your daughter, my daughter, because that's the end of, at the end of the day. It, once your daughters are married off, you kind of expect them to be elsewhere. You, it's not necessarily a problem that they live far away. It's that you want mm. to know they're being taken care of. Um, so, there would always be that teary part where your little chicks leave the nest. So, he probably just wants to move on with what they're doing, which is accepting the fact that once again the Jews are being moved on from where they all rightly live. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about that aspect of this end bit? I don't think. No, it's, pretty, it's the last musical number. So, it's. They've just got that big um, landscape shot at the end where the fiddler is like, he's doing his funny little dance while he's playing after him, but then he stops playing and he starts just walking. And it was oddly like, oh, the music stopped. And it was a strange feeling. It's the only time I've had it when I've watched any kind of cinema. Well, I think... What I took away from it is once all of the Jewish families are selling each other where they're going, we're going to New York, we're going to Ju- uh, Jerusalem or something, you go, maybe don't go to the Middle East. It's not known to be the easiest place yeah. to be staying. Um, yeah, but yeah, the Holy Land, sure, enjoy. We're going to New York and Chicago and, ah, Lazy Wolf, you'll be in Chicago, I'll be in New York, we'll be neighbours, ha ha ha. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of, like, I mean, essentially, once they get told, it's quite a tense scene where they're told by the the government or the police or whatever 
you're fucking evicted and it's not fair and there's nothing we're going to do about it. You're just leaving in three days. Pack up your shit and go. Tough, t- t- tough old fucking frozen ass titties. Um, they basically get... The village kind of collectively goes, well, it's not... It's a shitty peasant village after all. It's not that great. Why are we so... You know, they kind of... It's like how my parents are where once they get some bad news, they decide that that was actually the news they needed and that it's all actually for the best now. Like, they kind of, they readjust their focus and go, do you know what, yeah, we don't need to stay here, we can move on, it's not the end of the world, and they all, you know, begrudgingly accept it and uh, leave behind their homes and possessions for whatever they can settle on. Uh, so, um, everybody identified with one of them saying, when people pass, when people come through here to go somewhere else, they don't know they've been here. Like, yeah. Yeah, I've lived in places like that. That's country life, you. <laughs> so they they sort of uh, tell themselves it's fine, and move on. And and then I I took from the very end that they're all kind of tra- traipsing, literally, uh, pulling a cart along on the dirt. The whole all the families are on the dirt roads. We've got like an old woman in like a horse and cart in her bed, and it's just like oh this is bullshit. It's freezing cold winter, and it's muddy as hell, and you have to just traipse wherever you're going just to get away because you've been told to. So it's really awful. And then I think the fiddler coming back uh, to Tavia in his mind and looking back and seeing him is a sign that the spirit of the Jewish people, the happiness and the the plucky joy is still there. It hasn't been crushed out of them. I think that's what it's about, is the fiddler on the roof comes with them because you may move the Jewish people on, you may they may face hard times, but they'll never lose that sort of inner joyfulness, do you know what I mean? Mm. That's what I took from it. Any thoughts yourself, Anthony? Yeah, no, I I thought the same. Oh, but I, I also I do, I was also a little bit affected, like Abby said, when when he didn't quite keep playing the music and just kind of like, there was just a bit of silence at the end. Um, not not so much like, oh, the, the music's over, but more like, this is just, you know, he's going to stop for a little bit, but he'll play again. Yeah, it's that thing of like the transition from your home to a new home and settling in. It's a bit, I mean, it kind of leads into the Five Will Goes West uh, story that we've already covered on the podcast, mm-hmm. where they presumably get to America and find out it isn't all it's cut up cut out to be but it's a better to they tell themselves it is good and we will settle in and then be treated like awful immigrants who don't speak the language and you have to find your own community again and resettle and you know life has its problems and so there are moments on the road where the joy sort of quietens down and simmers down isn't it but uh yeah it's still with you it still has that you could still the bad times won't last forever sort of vibe although you know one daughter might be killed or her husband imprisoned forever or murdered one daughter eloped off somewhere with a catholic i mean that's not necessarily happy times ahead and the family you've got with you are all going to new york probably a slum to try and live so yay and one of you at least you've got a sewing machine and a baby that's those boons right those are things to be proud of yeah the sewing machine's all right you got your health <laughs> oh, baby fan, Abby. They also, oh, they also have a, a clip of like they think they bury the dead occasionally on the road. It becomes quite bleak before the fiddler turns up. Where it's like, yep, occasionally we'll bury someone in the side of the road and carry on because that's what trekking across the barren 
land is like. Oh. You're the epilogue I didn't need. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, there must have been bits and bobs we uh, sort of skimmed over. There's definitely loads of great uh, character actors and people who are doing a re- like just all all over the shop. There's good performances. I also found out that the woman who plays Golda was uh, terminally ill with breast cancer or something when she was doing this, and I think only like a handful of people, like Topol and the producer and like the director, knew when she was doing it. And it's like what a what a fucking trooper to do what a really good performance and to persevere with that while that shit's going on in the back of your head or to you, you know? Oh, absolutely. But I think all round, like, I don't think there was any weak parts to the acting and the the look of it. I mean, I think some people questioned how interesting the story is. And I found it interesting as, like, an alien to Jewish culture. I was like, oh, it's actually quite informative. It kind of gives you a bare basics, old-fashioned look at Judaism in a, in a certain context. Uh, but, you know, people... I mean, we we already talked about marriage proposals and shit with Belle. So I'm a bit done with people arranging marriages for a while. But uh, I think it's generally quite an interesting piece. Uh, and, you know, well-paced enough. You know? Anyone got any other things they want to venerate or condemn? Or, have they, or are we just on to metaphors? Uh, the only thing that... I think we didn't mention was the uh, the beggar character that they have a couple of times. Every village just, needs to have a beggar. <laughs> who just comes in and kind of like waves his hand and goes no, no. He had to, he had um, a dialogue in the play apparently but it wasn't really worth putting into the film. It was one of the few things they cut for time. <laughs> It's weird that you get one beggar, but everyone else has to work hard. Why? But no one has any animosity towards the beggar. Um, but I, mean, I don't know. You can't have too many beggars, or it's like. Well, that's the thing. You don't know his story. For all you know, the poor guy had like a nervous breakdown or something. Well, he's mute in this, so maybe. I think. Yeah, I don't know. He's just thrown in as a bit of. Well, this sort of village might have a beggar. Why not? You and the... he, he he is kind of portrayed as the village beggar. If you know what I mean, like it, yeah. he's part of the community in a, in a weird way. Yeah, you got the butcher, the sewer, the candlestick maker, the rabbi, the reader, um, the milker. The I don't know. I feel like I should be rhyming at this point. Yeah, why is it you've managed to know all of the correct words up until this exact moment when you needed them specifically? What are you on about? I never know what to say. Okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> With that, I don't know what to have as my metaphor. So, anyone got any? It's a bit awkward when the film title itself is the metaphor for the film. Um, I don't, I don't have one as such. I think I'll just sum up that uh, I, I enjoyed the film. It was, uh, I did come in with some reservations, thinking it might be a bit long and a bit boring. Um, but you no, know, it did. It kept pace. It was um, interesting. Like they dealt with some um, harsh issues, um, but it was also, you know, it was it was a nice mix between levity um, and also like sorrow as well. Um, yeah, it was good. Like I don't think the 
like the songs were particularly remarkable, but the music was really good all the way through. It had that kind of like um, Eastern European Jewish flavour to it all the way through, which I just enjoyed. That's a good point, actually. The songs are quite good at times, but actually, even the best song, which I would say is uh, "If I Were a Richman," Richman, if I were a Richman sausage, if I were rich, <laughs> if I were a rich man, that has the lyrics. Biddy 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 bum. They literally couldn't like. <laughs> if I was a rich man, he does say some examples of like I don't know. We live in a house full of cushions or get people to do stuff. I can't quite remember what. There were some funny lyrics in there, but it was just I would biddy 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 bum is not really inspirational lyrics. But at the same time, it really humanizes him because he's just singing in a stable on his own. And when you're singing on your own while you're just doing some like chores, you, you sing absolute shit. But when you're writing a Broadway musical, you might want to come up with some <laughs> fucking lyrics that aren't just biddy biddy bum, jibby jibby jib jib jab, dub 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 dub. Being one of my favourite musical numbers of all time. It yeah. is good. It is good. But it's taking the piss with those lyrics, I think. <laughs> so. But yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily have a metaphor. Um, Getting crap, Anthony. You're not. We, we, you've been letting the metaphor slide down recently. I have. <laughs> it's a banora. <laughs> because. Ooh. All right. Well, that's fair. All right. Not going to force you. Maybe. Maybe it's. Uh, if, if it's a metaphor. Maybe it's like um, some. Some old piece of like Jewish iconography. That you you know you've seen it before, but you don't. But you know, but it's also also always been such in um, in like an archaic or like really reverend um, place. Um, but then you know, one day you decided to find out more about it, and then it's like, oh, actually, this is this is quite interesting. Like and. Uh, so and you, you just you like you from what you thought was some sort of you know archaic thing you've learned a lot from it. So some piece of either Jewish religious kitsch or like like symbolic. It's a bit it's a bit like being oh I've always seen those in like a temple or I've seen them in mm-hmm. culture but I didn't know about it. And then you get the story about uh, like Moses and the Jewish people and you're like oh God parted the Red Sea you say temples for commandments from God is it? Oh, it's, it's escaped from Egypt that sounds uh, oh bloody hell <laughs> like like you know there's quite a good yarn within the, within the story within symbolized by the item or something like that. Mm. Not I, again. It would help if we knew about like stuff like that. But I don't know. Mm. <laughs> uh, I think that's fair. It's not too far off what I was thinking, which is it's a bit like um, spending time. Like I, when when we used to Abby go to Aberystwyth to visit your brother when he lived there, we'd often go at the same time as the Orthodox Jews would all go on the train and have their have their. <laughs> Have their beach holiday, so you'd be like surrounded by loads of curly locked uh, Jewish family members uh, in their formal clothes who were going on a beach holiday, and they'd all go to the same place and be a community and go to the seaside. And I feel like, yeah, it's like going on holiday with some Orthodox Jewish people, and you go, oh, I don't 
believe in or care about any of their stuff. What a load of silly nonsense. And then, but actually, it's like you meet the people, and they're really nice and very friendly and affable. So it's basically like, oh, I thought on paper I would hate this, because not that I'm anti-Semitic or something, but I'm not interested in traditional religious conservatism. But the people are interesting. The comedy is there within the dynamic of the people, and the the joy and the humour and the, the kind of relatable suffering and through like humor through adversity is relatable and there's a charm and charisma to to a people that you don't necessarily think is going to be there because you're like oh you're a bit pretty oh god no not not for i can't i can't be going on holiday with a bunch of orthodox jews that would be a nightmare it's actually it would be fine you might learn something and have fun and also go through some tough bits as well you know like so for me it was like taking a little unusual holiday with a, you know, more religious focus than I would normally care for, but I, that didn't cause, seem to be a problem. So that's, that was my revelation, that uh, the religious aspect didn't really get in the way of a good human story. Mm. So yeah, it's a holiday with the Jews. <coughs> Bleak as it can get <laughs> at times. But still kind of fun and full of revelry. Um, what was my take? Abby, yourself? Uh, yes, my metaphor is Mel Brooks. Uh-huh. Because, you know, well-known Jewish comedy figure. And by virtue of his age, he's, one, been through some shit, and two... Some of his jokes haven't translated well over time, but there's still this fundamental bedrock of just solid comedy that you can get on board with. Yeah. And he himself is a very likeable person mm. as well. There's a, it's a very short list of people who don't like Mel Brooks. Hitler being at the top, I think. No, Hitler didn't know him personally, I guess. But uh, there are definitely people who hate Jews and therefore Mel Brooks. But you're right, as a person, he's lauded and loved. Uh, and this film, in a sense, is a very lauded and loved piece, even if it does seem a bit old-fashioned at times. Yeah. Mm. I, I, is that the entirety of it, though? We've got more similarities between Mel Brooks and this very Jewish... Well, he's also just... like Some of the stuff he's been through as a person is also addictive of that sort of Jewish spirit as well so it works on a personal level but I, I i didn't i didn't want to start getting into details of that because my metaphor will take as long as the film <laughs> yeah you're not doing a biography discussion about mel just it, there's something in the the spirit of him that is relatable to the your experience of this film mm. yeah i think that's fair you know the, that'll do um we're gonna make our arduous trek across the muddy plains to the next podcast uh, please catch us at our next destination, which could be pretty much any film that we haven't already covered. Uh, and, you know, don't forget there's a whole back catalogue of random films that we may have covered that you may be interested in, just a thought. Uh, yeah, you know, we're on Facebook as well, if that's still a thing. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's the end of the podcast, and we bid you farewell. Toodle pip. Bye-bye. Bye. Biddy 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 bye bye bye.